Thinking Leadership podcast. I'm Jude Jennison, founder of Leaders by Nature, and in this podcast, I interview leaders on their experiences of leading change, the challenges they faced, and how they overcame them. I'm interested in exploring how we lead disruptive change in a way that has a positive benefit for employees, business, and society. In other words, how do we be more human and relational in our leadership and make a difference? Disruptive change creates uncertainty and this week's guest has some great tips to help navigate uncertainty. If you'd like some more ideas on how to lead through uncertainty, you can download a report on nine top tips to lead through uncertainty from my website at www.leadwithjude.com. Dr. Musha Aftab is the co-host director for MA Design Management courses at Birmingham City University. She specialises in design leadership within large organisations, exploring how designers design and lead strategically in business. We discuss how designers have a voice and a platform to give them the agency to lead, even though they don't have the position in an organisation. We discuss emotional intelligence, designing the future, and the skills needed to act as a bridge between user experience, technology and business. Hi, Mercia. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Jude. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Can you tell me who you are and what you do, please? Yes, so I'm Dr. Marsha Aftab, and I'm currently course director for MA Design Management courses at Birmingham City University. And I specialize in design leadership within large organizations and how design and designers lead uh, at strategic level. So for those of the so, so for those of us who don't really know much about design leadership, can you explain what you mean by that phrase? Um, as designers, um, designers hardly get the role uh, to play at a strategic level in an organization. Designers are the the so-called uh, artists within organizations. Uh, we are called in to create products and stylize them and communicate the value of the product to the end consumer and user. But in many organizations or in most, designers don't play a role at the strategic direction. And design leadership is about helping designers get that voice and that platform, giving them um, the the agency to lead even though they don't have the position mm-hmm. in an organization uh, we have seen successes a number of successes and successful designers who have now paved their way to the strategic uh, position in the organization and we have organizations such as Philips and and uh, many big organizations which who have started a chief design officer position Wow. In the organization. So like chief technology officer or CEO, there's a chief design officer, which is quite new mm. and uh, fresh. Um, but yeah, that that's so design leadership uh, or at least what, what I study is how designers are leading at different levels of the organization. And do they need to be chief design officers to be able to have an impact? So. I want to throw that question back at you instantly and say, do they need, do we need chief design officers in organizations? And if so, why? We do need um, 
position that designers uh, and that positioning of designers gives them the agency and the ownership to state something, to say something. Um, and why do we need that is because, you know, when designers design products, they are designing something that didn't exist before. So in the same essence, if you ask designers to design the future, they can give meaning to something that doesn't exist. Future, nobody knows what the future is. Mm -hmm. And every discipline comes at kind of explaining what the future could be or predicting what will happen in the future in their own way. We have uh, Excel sheets by the marketing, we have business strategy, but designers bring it to life because they, the, the role or the, the future that they predict or design will have a human aspect to it. Because, right. and that's where I think designers create that um, important or bring that important point of view. There is no other discipline who, which will think about human aspect other than designers. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, yeah, other other than HR, but they're thinking about that from um, from the employees of the organisation. Whereas yes. what you're talking about is the human aspect of whatever a business is delivering or or selling. And mm -hmm. um, in terms of how how did you get into this <laughs> to start with? It's quite interesting. I mean, uh, my journey. I mean, my undergraduation was in fashion back in India in and National Institute of Fashion Technology, very competitive four years in Kolkata, West Bengal. Uh, so that's where my roots are. And then I worked in Indian retail giant, Shopperstop, like one of the biggest flagship stores as a visual merchandiser. So I learned about visual communication through practice. How do you make a product seem so compelling that whoever enters the store has to buy it? And my first experience was selling wedding rings or creating the visual experience of selling engagement rings, diamond rings, and then, you know, on Valentine's Day. So that was quite interesting. We created a huge ring, life size, and that encouraged men and women to buy it for each other, <laughs> which was great. Um, from that, I learned about interior design, new stores opening, why do we make stores the way they are, use of lighting, sound, scent, smell. So everything, the whole experience of retail and shopping. But um, what frustrated me with that process was I was just a style, stylist. I had ideas, but my ideas were just, I was stopped because my ideas had to be around the styling only. Don't think higher. You are the designer. Mm -hmm. You just have to do the styling. And that got me thinking, wait a minute. If I have ideas about strategy of what to sell, how to sell, not just at a store level, but at a national level, why am I not given the permission to say it or share it? And that brought me to England to do design management because I thought I need to understand what business, what business wants from me. How do I speak their language? So um, commercial empathy. 
And that's how I got into understanding what business needs and where design fits within the business and then did research and PhD around it. So yeah, that's my story. <laughs> Fantastic. So tell me some of the some of the snippets I you know I know you've got a PhD in this in this subject so we've we've not got time to go into the detail of your PhD obviously but what are some of the key themes that come out with with design management that that everybody should be aware of so when it comes to design management it's important to know that it's the research and practice that resides between design and business or design and management so it brings the analytical and business value thinking to designers uh, and the subject brings the human value to business so it's right in the middle in fact it creates a bridge Mm. Um, design management is not just for designers. Um, I have students who come from different disciplines. Uh, it's for non-designers as well, and it's quite multidisciplinary. Uh, we teach or design managers get the hang of human-centered design practices, bringing the user to the center of their argument. Mm -hmm. So if you're a business person who likes the management literature and practices and has done an MBA, you will learn, acquire creative thinking and design thinking bits and uh, tools that help you put the user in the center of your business argument. And as a designer, you learn the lingo of the business world so that you can present your human-centered ideas mm. in the right manner so that the business world sees the value in it so it's that, um, uh, so it works, design management works with commercial empathy and user empathy and the say combination. More, say more about, say more about that, the commercial and user empathy. So a lot of times, so a lot of times designers, designers are really good at creating futures and products and services, you know, that don't exist. They, they just have an idea and they run with it. But a lot of times they forget that uh, it, the idea is just an idea until it brings value to someone, mm -hmm. so the user or, them, or, or the company. So where is the value? And that understanding of value comes from understanding and empathizing with the commercial process, understanding the user, value for money, product differentiation and those kind of marketing principles mm -hmm. and then designing it with that in mind or at least selling that or pitching that with that commercial understanding in mind. Um, a lot of designers don't have that or we don't train that at uh, undergraduate level that commercial understanding mm -hmm. because we are training them to be the best designers they can be best right. technically sound uh, it only comes at a later stage when they are in work that they realize okay just designing is not enough mm. uh, we have to be innovative and for innovation to happen you have to create value for somebody <laughs> 
it, it reminds me it reminds me a bit of my early early years when I worked for IBM where there was that there was always that tension between the really incredible technical geniuses who really mm. understood the technology and then the customers who were running their businesses using that technology and there was always this tension between the two mm-hmm. that required that bridge that you talk about between technology and um, and business and now what yeah. I'm hearing is this is also needed for design yeah but I'm but I, what I'm also hearing in with that is you also need technology and humanity Absolutely. so you're bringing the whole piece together aren't you with design yeah. technology humanity and the commercial aspect yeah how how complex or how easy is that to do it's not easy it requires a different breed of professionals who are who understand three things so um and the three things are for any product or services to work it needs to have business viability mm-hmm. well will it create any money um functionality through technology how it works and desirability the user experience side and it's the perfect combination of these three things that makes a good product or a good service um and we need a different breed of people to manage that process because it they need to be collaborative they need to understand when to bring these people in these different perspectives and how to manage those perspectives and then create that product that will be good and i think for example apple products are great example uh that bring in business viability user experience and technology mm-hmm. um and i think they hit the mark really well mm-hmm. and that's why they are selling and uh, they hold the market share that they do and uh, yes i completely agree there are three three puzzle pieces to this <laughs> success uh but how do you get them to how do you get these different people to work together is a work in progress i guess yeah <laughs> so is the expectation that um designers need to be all three or is the expectation that they need to do designers remain as designers but work with the others collaborate with others with different skills what 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 do you find works best that's an interesting question so during my phd and after um through through a number of projects and collaboration with the industry we realized that the role of designers is changing in the world quite quickly they are becoming um like the co-creators of these processes of these products so they are they might not be great designers they might not be great with technology they might not even have full understanding of the business but what they know is how to manage and lead this process right and that's where design management and design led innovation practice comes in mm-hmm. it's about do the designers have the skill to bring these people in and encourage them to think um holistically about an offering mm. uh and it goes into communication 
goes into change. It goes into skills like leadership and empathy and empathy towards other discipline as well as users. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it's, it's quite transformative what mm-hmm. designers are going through currently because it's uh, challenging them as well as they grow into the, the professional world. Yeah. And they feel the need to, okay, I haven't been taught this. I don't know how to progress. So they come back into education and then they go back into the professional world. Yeah. And, and I, um, you know, I think back again to my, my days in IBM where I, um, you know, some of the roles that I did were in service management. So they were in providing that bridge between technical teams and, and the business of, of, the, of the client and then also IBM's business to make sure that what we were doing was within the service levels or and was profitable and and so on so so what I'm hearing is those design managers need to have that almost chameleon like ability to be able to speak to very different groups of people and to understand to not necessarily be the expert in in any one of those things but to be able to pull the whole thing together yeah and and blend that um you know, that creativity and innovation with that left brain, logical, pragmatic thinking. Like, how do you, how do you get people to balance those two? Because so often people are one or the other, aren't they? How do you, how do you develop people to have those skills to be able to communicate around the two? It's quite interesting. We just had a lesson on Monday where we were talking about communication and bringing transformational change. And, uh, what designers essentially are when they go into design managers, when they go into uh, employment, they get into jobs that are requires them to manage change. Mm-hmm. So whether it's uh, ad hoc to digital transformation or non-user research based into user research based transformation. And we worked on uh, skills such as empathetic listening as one of them. Like if you will be able to understand the other person, if you listen, if you listen to understand rather than listen to evaluate what they are saying, Mm -hmm. listening is quite important. We also discuss um, change management tools. So how do you unfreeze change and then refreeze a team? How do you manage change within a team? Um, and uh, Kurt Levin's uh, model is quite relevant here where you can design managers can des- design workshops where they bring the team in and they unfreeze the state of the team as is, discuss w- what needs to be done, why we are here, uh, what works, what doesn't work, then change, add the d- ingredients for change within the team and then freeze it again. Uh, create the boundaries of what the work would look like in the future. But there was a very interesting aspect that we discussed, which was transcendent thinking, which connected with spirituality and high level of emotional intelligence. And how do you get that emotional intelligence? We don't know. It's about practice and training. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think it was Drigas and... uh, Papuzzi in 2018, they created a nine layer of emotional intelligence. It goes from emotional stimuli when you 
understand that the, the, you are being emotionally triggered up until emotional unity at the top. And that emotional unity is a state of uh, unified emotion where you understand how you have to behave and what are the triggers for everyone and yourself. And in the middle lies self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, empathy. So it's a nine layer step and uh, students had to identify where do they stand. And for me personally, I was just on the third stage. I haven't even reached the ninth, still mm -hmm. early on. And uh, it's about training and practice that helps you go into the expertise of managing your own emotions and also others on a regular basis. So these are some of the skills that we, skills and uh, reflection that mm -hmm. we try to encourage students to do and uh, kind of practice on a day-to-day -day basis and carry on when they are working. Because I'm guessing that in order for, for true collaboration, and very few of us truly collaborate, but for true collaboration, what I'm guessing what you're wanting is unified um, thinking, is, is it? Or a unified emotion too? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We call it creating a collective mind, mm -hmm. you know, uh, a unified purpose. And you can do that by consensus, but even for consensus to happen, you need to have that unified emotional state. Mm. I think it's quite, uh, I don't think, I, this is what I think. On reflection, management as usual hasn't worked because we have removed emotions and humanness from management. Yeah. And it's time that we bring the humanness back into management mm -hmm. because uh, as uh, designers or managers, it's not just the users that we have to think about. We also have to think about each other mm. when we work with each other and how we are encouraging or discouraging each other. Um, and that's where we are leading our students. So, so to understand how do you communicate? How do you listen? How do you frame your questions? How do you think together? Mm -hmm. And then how do you move together into that emotional unity? Yeah. So what, what, what I'm hearing you, you talk about is more, more than emotional intelligence. Those, those words don't quite co cover it enough, really. But, but it's kind of taking that to another level and really putting humanity at the centre of collaboration at the center of design at the center of business and pulling that whole piece together yeah how do we make sure that we do that because that's so much more so so much easier to say than it is to do surely absolutely and uh i i don't know <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know with a phd in this <laughs> it's uh, ongoing so yeah, I don't know, but one of the things that we can do is create um, equal opportunities, mm -hmm. um, diverse environments, but make sure there's equity in, uh, in participation and collaboration and everyone has been given a voice. I mean, we, we have such a diverse environment in our class, such diverse group of there's uh, students with uh, learning disabilities, there's students with, who don't belong, who, do, who are not from the uh, Great Britain. 
and different parts of the world. There are women, there are carers, there are parents, single parents. And we have to create an understanding that we all are human. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the first. And I think the pandemic did that quite effectively because when we started working from home, there was no boundary between home and work so the whole understanding of oh you have to be professional uh, or changed because I, I can only be so professional with my child yelling behind me while I'm having a meeting you know and we just had to deal with that yeah so I think as I said one way of doing that is creating this uh, humanness in our day-to-day dealing with each other Mm. do you think creating diverse and equitable environments actually increases the ability to innovate or does it make it more difficult there's definitely research and data that confirms that if you have diverse voices in your team there's more likely that your product will be better will have uh, yeah there will be a better product will not be exclusive product will be an inclusive product so definitely there is we also know that we all have our individual biases uh, which are subconscious so it could be bias around gender age sexual orientation and how do you remove that bias from your day-to-day teamwork and collaboration? It's quite difficult, but there are procedures in place that can help that. Uh, at least within higher education, uh, with assessment and uh, marking, we do have, for example, anonymous marking, which helps us not look at who has written it, but what has been written and marked the work rather than the person. Mm-hmm. So those kind of measures can help remove bias and create that safe environment where everyone is judged on equal terms. Mm. So that's, that's easier with, with things where you can anonymize, isn't it? But where you've got collaboration, yeah. how, how, do you, how do you encourage design leaders to um, collaborate in a way with with diversity and in a way that is inclusive? How do you develop those skills? Uh, One way is to make sure that within the design process, when they are thinking about users, they are thinking about diverse set of users. They are considering who the users are at a macro level, as well as looking at the individual needs of these different groups of users. So uh, as a single parent or, uh, uh, you know, a a child or age specific or even gender specific and race specific. Uh, So not just go for the easiest uh, user research, which happens a lot. Or the one that looks like me. Or the one that looks like me. And a lot of times we don't even think about it. We just Mm. go for, ah, I want to interview age group of 25 to 36. And that's it. It doesn't matter who they are. 
where they come from, their stories, I think it matters. Mm. I mm. think it matters. So we encourage uh, young, uh, the, the current students to think about uh, user research and who the users are, the stories and diversity within their research. Um, and also thinking about the implications of their idea of how their idea could adversely affect a community. We are also raising questions about how can user research give designers the right to design for communities that they have never lived in? Mm. How can I design for, you know, the, the, the black community in Birmingham? Mm. I, I don't know what they go through. So, uh, it's about rightful agency rather than, oh, if you use user research, you can do it. I don't think it's that simple. I don't think it should be that simple. Mm. But it starts It starts with having that awareness, doesn't it? It's, it's really, and it comes back to the empathy again that you talked about of that, yeah. having empathy for diversity and having awareness of it means that we start mm -hmm. to make different choices. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Empathy plays a key role in uh, creating equitable and diverse opportunities. Mm. And, and creating design that is fit for purpose for different user groups. And, and I think that's the bit that I'd never really considered before. I'd always thought of design is, you know, a bit like technology you tend to think of technology is developed by techie people and design <laughs> is created by designers. And, and actually, you know, what you're making me think about is the importance of not just our ability to work with diverse sets of groups and different ways of thinking so that business can talk to technology and technology can talk to design and, and users and so on. Yeah. But also, um, developing the skills so that we have a conceptual understanding of everything because everybody uses technology now so in a, in a way we all have at least a, a, an understanding as a user of technology even if we don't understand the detail behind it yeah. do you do you think that changes the, the the way that we develop our skills and, and in terms of um, I'm thinking across all all age groups not just the the age groups are who are going through university, but do, do you think we need to start really being much more aware of the skill set that we've got? And how do you think that needs to change? Well, that's a big question. I think uh, there are two aspects to it. One is uh, who the technology is for. If it's, for example, if it's a uh, public sector and the technology is being used for everybody, that has much more requirement of being inclusive and requires whoever the designers are to think more, uh, think about diversity and, and user experience. So definitely from skill perspective, those designers need that awareness and training in inclusivity, diversity, and how to um, make that technology fit this diverse range of public people that we have in Great Britain. And then on the other side is 
creation of technology, I was uh, reading an article where they were saying that the that the current artificial intelligence the applications and softwares that are coming up, and um, they are quite biased, and the bias is against women because mm-hmm. the technology is as good as the person who is making it. And if they don't know how to consider women in their design, then um, it's going to be a problem. Mm. Uh, for example, it's talked about, uh, I think, Alexa. She's here. She will listen to me. But <laughs> the, the <laughs> there you go. Or Siri, for example, they, they don't recognize female voices or they recognize more male voices over female voices. Mm-hmm. The response to male voices is, is quicker. And mm-hmm. that is a great technology to have. But that simple discrimination is not a discrimination made by technology. It's made by the human who created the technology. Mm-hmm. And that uh, I am not sure what kind of training and skill is required to avoid that. But the positive thing is that we are talking about it. Yeah. And we are discussing this at platforms such as this and even global platforms. And I think that's important. That's one way forward. And it starts It starts with awareness and conversation, doesn't it? In, in terms of how we make sure that we create both technology and design in a way that suits all humanity, not just one particular type of group, but all humanity. Yeah. How, how do we integrate technology, design, humanity, and leadership? I know that's a massive question, but- That's a big question. Give it your best shot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think the leader, the person would be, would have to be a certain, uh, would have to have a certain skill. Again, the empathy, the collaborative, the communication skill to be able to, see the value in when to link these things, different aspects and how. And I think each project is its own beast in a way, because one formula won't fit all. It depends on who the user, who the end user, who the who the person collaborating is, which organization it is, the organizational culture around it, the team culture. And, and the proposal itself. So I think the context is really important, but definitely I think the, the onus lands on the leader here, mm. the transformative leader who is, I think we had a conversation earlier. It's a combination of that. I'm the leader personality with humbleness mm. Mm. and empathy uh, and uh, just uh, being a human leader we're asking we're asking a lot more from our leaders aren't we now than than ever before do you think um do you think that's sustainable in the long term do you think that that becomes the norm where we start to develop leadership as a as a profession rather than just a you know you've got so far then you get promoted as a leader yeah um it's interesting for me leadership is a two-layer thing where one is the management, the promotion and the management bit of leadership. 
The other one is the mindset of a leader. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a combination of that position, promotion, management, and the mindset. And we are seeing quite a few organizations changing the way they manage to encourage this fluid leadership and support leaders. Uh, for example, we are seeing a lot of organizations become employee-owned. Mm-hmm. And that just changes the dynamics of leadership completely because, mm-hmm. you know, each employee has a stake in, in the organization. So you're doing this for your company. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, then we are also seeing uh, less hierarchy, fewer hierarchy in organizations. So the structures are being dissolved and purged. There's more transparency around uh, promotion, uh, progression, and uh, also um, salary scales, which didn't happen before. So organizations are changing, especially the new consultancy in architecture and design. They are picking up on this. And then because it's right, we can't, we are not being empathetic if we put this pressure on our leaders to be human and amazing and technology led and everything basically the unicorn <laughs> mm, mm. and it doesn't exist mm. so uh, it's leaders supporting the community of workers a community within the organization and also the organization and the community supporting leaders to be able to lead uh, uh, there are very innovative organization structures coming up in the world and i'm really encouraged to see that it's about, and it's reminding us always to keep coming back to being human in a world of design, in a world of technology, um, and and in a world of business, and to remember what you know what it is to be human in all of that, and to build relationships with each other, and and do great things in the world together. Absolutely, that's what we are here for. That's what makes us uh, get up every morning and go about our days isn't it we want to do good yeah (laughs) one would hope (laughs) Mersha thank you so much for your time it's been a pleasure to talk to you today thank you thank you so much it has been pleasure for me as well I like the idea that design management is the bridge between design and business enabling business to create meaningful products for customers I'm also struck by the reminder that in every part of the business professionals need to develop new skills. In this case, design thinking requires business to explore business viability, functionality through technology, and desirability from the user experience side. And it's the perfect combination of these three things that makes a good product or service. And at the heart of all of this is the emotional intelligence to explore things from different points of view and to collaborate effectively together. How do you ensure that business, technology and user experience or employee experience all come together in a seamless way in your business? I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I enjoyed having the conversation. Please share it with someone else so we can collectively inspire each other to rethink leadership in the world. If you'd like more ideas on how to lead through uncertainty, you can download a report on uncertainty from www.leadwithjude.com. That's it for this week. I was your host, Jude Jennison, founder of Leaders by Nature, challenging the status quo of leadership. 
Find out more at www.judejennison.com. Until next week, keep leading and I'll be back soon with another interview on Rethinking Leadership.